Welcome back to the Roach Ramblings podcast. In this episode, I've got a new co-host that's joining me for this one. His name is Braden Lands. We went to Oklahoma Baptist University together. And we spend time talking about the first two verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We spend a lot of time talking about opposition to the gospel, failures in our ministry leadership, and the slow burn of relational discipleship. I hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Roach Ramblings podcast. Uh, Today, you get to listen to someone other than me. And so uh, if you've been listening in this summer, I've had to do a lot of these solo. But today I have the opportunity, uh, the blessing really, to have a friend named Braden uh, who is going to be joining me. Uh, We went to Oklahoma Baptist University together, and we've been able to have conversations about ministry and some of the things he's been doing uh, occasionally since we both left OBU. Uh, But I'm really excited to have him on the podcast, and I'm going to let him share a little bit more about himself. Awesome. Nathan, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Um, so me, uh, long story short, I, I'm living in Colorado, Fort Collins, Colorado. I am married for almost five years, got two little boys, 20 months and almost eight months, no, seven months. They're really close together. Um, but I work, uh, in ministry. My wife and I started a ministry called half step ministries and its goal is to introduce students to Jesus and the local church. And we do that by playing music together. It's lots and lots of fun. I won't go into it, but uh, it's essentially an evangelistic and discipleship-oriented ministry towards youth, Uh, and it's been it's been fun. That's awesome. Yeah, and that that was one of our more uh, in-depth conversations since we both Mm -hmm. left Bison Hill. uh, Is that we, um, Jamie and I, have had the pleasure to support Braden. for a season in his ministry in that way. And just hearing his heart about that, uh, if you're listening in and you're trying to think of a way to reach students, that's not, you know, the typical youth group environment, definitely, definitely hit Braden up. Um, so, yeah. yeah, but, uh, today we are going to be in first Thessalonians chapter two. So finally made it out of chapter one. Uh, I tend to take things really slowly and really, uh, try to be faithful to each verse. And so uh, I've been working through chapter one this summer and and now here we are. And so how we're going to do this, I'm going to read the first two verses and then Ben and I just want to share with you our heart, uh, share with you different things that we've learned from our experiences that uh, apply or this passage applies to um, for that matter. And so I'm going to read these two verses and we're going to dive in. So if you have your Bible with you or your Bible app, uh, go ahead and get to First Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll go ahead and tell you what I tell my students every Wednesday, uh, you listeners, is that what you put into this is what you're going to get out of it. Uh, and so if you follow along with us and uh, even take notes, you, uh, my prayer is that you'll learn something new uh, about what it looks like to follow Jesus in our world. And so let's get it. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. Do it. it says, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. So those are the verses we're going to be looking at today. Uh, I've got a handful of things here on this outline that as I was studying this was just jumping off of me. So we're going to take these one at a time. 
so the first thing that it that got me thinking is that Paul is in Thessalonica for a really short period of time. Uh, some of his missionary stops on his missionary journeys were pretty lengthy, uh, but this one from what we can tell, was really just about six weeks, give or take. And yet, uh, we saw in chapter one that he was able, through the power of the Spirit and through the team that he brought, they were able to produce a church that was bearing fruit. And it just got me thinking about short-term missions. And so that's where we're going to start uh, today. So, um, Brayden, when you think about just, you know, uh, living missionally, uh, yep. You know, obviously, both being at OBU, we we heard about go trips, these experiences mm -hmm. where teams of students were able to go and invest in a location for a very short period of time, not even six weeks, oftentimes just a, a week or two. What do you see are the pros and cons of that type of missionary endeavors? Oh, man, I, I think it's really um I boil it down to the, the benefit, I think, of any sort of type of mission uh, really comes from the relationships. Uh, you see, I mean, you're talking about in chapter one how, how Paul had developed this church. Um, that doesn't happen without relationships. That doesn't happen without investment and living life together. And uh, the I've been on a handful of short-term mission trips myself. I did a summer internship um, in 2015, the year after I graduated at OBU. Uh, and that was in Eastern Europe. And I think there's there's two kinds, there's probably more than this, but the two kinds of uh, short-term trips that I have experienced, um, and then I can kind of compare uh, and contrast the experiences of those where uh, I think I boil them down to two kinds of experiences. Uh, one is the kind of go and do something and then leave. And then the other one is uh, go and build relationships and invest, share the gospel. Um, and I, I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't say that there's no benefit to those ones where you, you can hear my son in the background. <laughs> it's all good. You'll probably hear my daughter soon. <laughs> That's great. He's wonderful. Uh, but you go, you do something uh, like, I don't know, build a, build a house or go paint somebody's house or something like that. Something really short. You kind of invest in something material, um, but not necessarily build relationships. Um, it's, it's something that, uh, while it can be good, I'm not necessarily sure that's the most useful or uh helpful way of uh growing he's knocking on the door this is so funny <laughs> it's all good uh, uh i'm like totally losing my my thoughts uh, no, you're good <laughs> so um so that that type of mission trip right uh where you just go kind of do something and leave and the second type of like going and building relationships and sharing the gospel i think those ones can definitely bear certain fruit in the people that you're serving but also in yourself um, I think we, I've, in my experience, um, mission trips and short-term missions have been the, some of the most fruitful times in my life, uh, or at least maybe like catalytic moments, if you will, sure. for, for stages of growth for me, because, uh, you put yourself out of your own context, you, you make yourself uncomfortable and you do something that's strictly for the gospel or for the kingdom, um, you know, it puts you in a whole different frame of mind of seeing yourself and seeing, uh, you know, how you operate in God's kingdom uh, as as more than just about yourself. Like this is about other people. This is about something that's much greater than myself. Um, and then I'll just tell one really quick story about my trip to Eastern Europe. Um, it was the first time I think I experienced relational discipleship in a mission mm -hmm. uh, where it wasn't just like we're going to go 
door to door and share the gospel. Um, you know, cause I did that. I've actually done that in Nepal and that was, it was wonderful getting con- people connected to local churches and whatnot, uh, and, and helping, you know, local believers in Nepal, uh, share the gospel. Um, but in Eastern Europe, it was a, like a slow process, you know, uh, it was, it was really, a, the, the seedbed for starting half step ministries here in the States. But the idea behind it was just building relationships with the students and introducing them to Jesus. And that there wasn't necessarily like that output of, you know, you share the gospel, somebody accepts it, and then you get to go home and say, I shared the gospel with X amount of people and, you know, this many people accepted. But it was really like just uh, just building a relational environment for people who are there um, to continue the work that, that God has given them. Hmm, that's good. Well, we did not discuss this beforehand, uh, but we have the same answer <laughs> to to this question. <laughs> I think is just a cool thing. Um, I, I have grown up in the church, uh, was there in the womb, and you know I've seen, I've been on all types, you know, the whole litany of mission trips, and uh, you know, God was able to use each of those experiences, you know, in my walk with Him, and and I would argue He was able to use. Uh, because he's big, <laughs> um, all of those experiences for the communities we were reaching. Uh, but for me, I, I landed with what you just uh, described so um, eloquently is just this idea of building relationships, uh, that that's that you you nailed it. I mean, that's exactly what Paul, uh, what he was able to bring about in Thessalonica came through the relationships that he had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see this even in this first verse of Uh, chapter two, he says, for you yourselves know. And it's just this idea of like, they had shared experiences, uh, shared moments. And he he uses that, you guys know this line several times in this chapter, uh, as he kind of recounts what happened in his missionary journey to Philippi and then to Thessalonica. And so I've been on the mission trips where we kind of just went and did things. Um, But I've also been on those where we we were building relationships with people and essentially being a bridge. Uh, I think that's the most fruitful uh, short-term mm-hmm. mission experiences when the team is a bridge between the local church and the community. You know, yeah. if we go and build a house and, and there's nothing connecting the recipients of that home to a local church, I don't know. I feel like it's giving food to someone that's in need without sharing the gospel. Like it's a both and yeah. yes, we're called to meet physical needs, but not at the expense of spiritual needs. And so um, I definitely, definitely agree with your assessment there. Uh, I know I'll share a story too. Uh, I remember just a couple of different mission trips um, when I was in high school. Uh, In one, my freshman year, we went to Colorado and um, stayed in a really nice hotel and we kind of did the VBS thing uh, with the church. And it wasn't bad. Um, but it was, it was kind of (laughs) bougie and, and then, uh, my sophomore year, the guy that discipled me and is really the reason I'm in youth ministry, uh, in this season, uh, his name is Zach Randalls and he is a church planner in Washington, DC. Uh, but we, at the time he was the youth pastor here in Texas and, and we went to DC, uh, we, I mean, we did work. And it was we slept on the floor of a gym at a school. We got up at 430 in the morning and got to work. And man, the 
and and just sought to build relationships between this church that was there and those we were reaching and and uh don't get me wrong my flesh really enjoyed the the king-sized mattress <laughs> in colorado yeah. uh but i i look back fondly on that dc experience for sure yeah i think it's it's especially whenever like there's there's this connectedness i think of like the taking away the comforts to bring the gospel forward really makes it about the gospel. It doesn't make it about the things that are tagged on to the mission trip or, you know, the, the things you get to come back and say, we, we put on this VBS and, you know, 400 people accepted Christ or whatever, but, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. And they're all, you know, eight, that, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, again, I'm not, I'm not like bashing on VBS. I know. I know there's a place and there's a time for it and, and it can be deeply good. But I think, yeah, taking away those like Paul, I mean, gosh, the guy suffered, the guy suffered and he accounts so many times that it's a joy and the joy that he is having. And I think you're, you're hitting it on the head with these first couple of verses is that the relationships that he's building with these people, he's getting connected. And he, and even, you know, in, in chapter one, he's talking about how fond he is of them and always thanking God uh, for them. Like that's, that's a relational, uh, emotional connection that, that goes beyond just the, uh, you know, Hey, I, I helped you build a house or I made you a tent or something like that, but we actually made a connection. And I think this is the deep, true work that, you know, uh, seeing that Paul do that I think God also calls us to. That's good. It's a good word. Let's look at verse two. It says, on the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, again, he says, as you know. So again, there's this shared knowledge, shared experience. We were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. And I, I think it's funny. Uh, there's a lot in scripture that I, that brings me to laugh a little bit. And I think that can be a good thing. Um, in my opinion, the treated outrageously is kind of like underselling what happened to them in Philippi. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. in the book of Acts, you know, Paul was and his companions, they were stripped publicly, they were flogged and then imprisoned, uh, unfairly. And so I, you know, I, I am definitely an oversharer. But I don't think if I was trying to recount that experience that I would just say, yeah, they kind of treated us outrageously. I'd be like, no, you listen up. Like, this is exactly what they yes. did. Um, but he goes on to say we are emboldened by God to speak the gospel in spite of that opposition. Uh, so, Braden, have there been kind of these um, tangible moments for you of opposition in sharing the gospel? You know, my I'll preface with. My pet peeve is when American Christians yell persecution, uh, when we have brothers and sisters in other countries that are legitimately being persecuted. Uh, and so I'm not I'm when I ask this, I'm not talking about Starbucks mm -hmm. Christmas cups or right. what Disney is putting out in kids movies. Like I'm I'm talking like, have you faced opposition when you have gone and tried to share kingdom kingdom news? Um, you know, so the only experience I think I could, I could say, uh, with confidence that it was actual opposition. I think I've mostly yeah. faced ambivalence okay. or, um, maybe disappointments, the right word, because, sure. uh, I don't know if I'm just not sharing the gospel, right. But most of the people I share with the gospel with, they're like, nah, I think I, I just, I'm just not ready yet. Or, Sure. Yeah, <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm gonna read the Bible first, and then I'll decide. Uh, yeah. Like, Great. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, 
but in Nepal, I, I did a short-term mission trip to Nepal where we just uh, we hiked through the the Himalayas and we shared the gospel in these remote villages. It was such an amazing experience. Um, but there was a, a local, you know, there were local pastors there that we partnered with, and I remember going through one village, and uh, there, it's a very spiritually dark place. The places that mm-hmm. we went to, I think it's one of the few times I think I've ever felt that that literal heaviness of I think spiritual oppression or um, I don't necessarily want to call it evil, but that's sure. probably a good way to describe it. Yeah. Of just like this feeling of like, there's just something off here. Um, and that doesn't have my good in mind, but we were leaving this village and there was one, uh, set of guys that we were going to share the gospel with. Cause the way that worked is I would share the gospel and then, uh, the local pastor would translate uh, and it usually just provided an opportunity for him to start a conversation with these other, uh, gentlemen, uh, cause you're not allowed to share your faith in Nepal. And so, by us being there, we were able to help them kind of have an end for these conversations. And I, we started this conversation and these two guys, uh, it looked from my vantage point, like I stopped talking very early on. And so I'm like, great, this guy's having a great conversation with them. And, uh, I, cause I, I have, I don't know Nepalese at all. And so they're just, they're sure. chatting away. I mean, it's like five, 10, 15, 20 minutes. They're talking there. I'm just standing there. And, uh, then he turns to me and he's like, we need to go, like, we need to go now. Um, huh. And I was thinking, I was like, oh, it's like, I thought you were having a great conversation yeah. with them. Um, but, and so we, we started leaving and I said, what happened? Like, I thought you guys were having such a great conversation. And he's like, it started out that way. But then uh, they basically just started making fun of me of like, oh, so is this, is this American paying you to do this? Like, are you getting paid to do this? And just kind of like these jabs. And so not again, like persecution sure. necessarily because i mean these dudes they'll lose their livelihoods they'll go to jail if mm. if they're sharing the gospel um and so and me on the other end like i just get to feel a little bit uncomfortable yeah um and so that like that's the only experience i think i've had that's close enough to even even say persecution but that's that's nothing net near close to what i know many of our brothers and sisters experience around mm-hmm. the world i think my experience mostly has been either ambivalence. Like I have lots of conversations with people, uh, specifically, mostly millennials, like millennials. There's this, as we know, this ex evangelical or deconstructionist movement. Yeah. And, um, for some reason, those are the kinds of people that I always end up you know, talking to. Talking to sure. Um, but there's very little openness to, uh, you know, uh, like the gospel, because I think they've, they've, they have a, an angst towards it, right? They feel like they have an understanding but there is some sort of history with it. Um, and so any further conversation to kind of say like, this is truth or this is goodness or this is righteousness, whatever it is, uh, it kind of just comes across like eh, ambivalent. They're like, whatever, you know, you do yeah. you. Kind yeah. Of thing. Uh, so yeah, that's been my experience. That's a good word. I, I would, you know, again, didn't talk about these things, but same experiences here <laughs> on this one too, that, uh, I have never faced physical opposition, uh, but I have definitely felt spiritual oppression. Um, you know, I, I had the privilege of working for the North American Mission Board for a few years in college and the year after college and uh, went to some places on the West Coast that just need Jesus, uh, spiritually dark. And I'd, I remember getting off the plane in Portland uh, and just wanting to go home immediately, like mm-hmm. just this weight uh, I remember a season in Phoenix where I knew, uh, you know, I, I know my, my, the call in scripture is to, to delight in the Lord and in his word. But I remember a couple of days where I was like, I literally don't want to read my Bible because I know even that act is going to, you know, the targets here 
uh, for just like this spiritual malaise that would kind of come over me. And so I, I again, I don't want to downplay the difficulty of following Jesus uh, for, for anyone. Uh, I just um, wanted that caveat of like, I, I, I read articles and see stories of very real <laughs> persecution and, and we're, it's not happening to us. And so, well, that's, uh, that's good, good stuff so far. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, well, we are going to get back into it. Uh, I have been, I've shared this many a time, <laughs> that I've been kind of using Chuck Swindoll's commentary on this book to uh, kind of encourage me, to kind of provide um, just some illustrations and anecdotes. Uh, and, and something he mentioned here when he talks about opposition that Paul faced um, is that in Paul's case, I would not argue that in Paul's case, their failure in, in Philippi was due to any leadership failures on his part. But Chuck Swindoll runs with it uh, and kind of talks about how Paul could have allowed that moment, that negativity, that destruction uh, to kind of be the end. He could have cut the missionary journey off at that point, and yet they faithfully continued and, and ended up here in um, Thessalonica. And something that Swindoll uh, shares, uh, and I'm going to kind of read this, and then I'm going to share experience from my life, uh, but it's Swindoll talks about how pain and suffering and our own mistakes as leaders can teach us patience, perseverance, compassion, and hope. And uh, I'll say that again, that that whether you're a leader in the church in a vocational sense or a leader of a family, leader uh, of a church in a lay person sense, that, that oftentimes our painful leadership moments, our painful leadership moments even brought about by our own mistakes can teach us patience, perseverance, compassion, and hope. And, and I have seen this to be true in my life on many an occasion. Uh, and I, I hate to, <laughs> those of you that have listened uh, to this whole uh, study in First Thessalonians thus far, I, I hate to keep bringing back up Phoenix as, as kind of the crux of <laughs> my ministry life, uh, but, it, but it is. And Victor's not here for me to make fun of him because he lives there. Um, but I, my time in Phoenix was exactly how Swindoll described it. Pain, suffering, brokenness, mistakes, setbacks, you name it. Uh, a lot of this was um, brought about by myself. Uh, I was fresh out of college. I was immensely immature uh, in many areas of my life. I was extremely arrogant and cocky. Uh, I'd been given a lot of opportunities at OBU uh, in leading in ministry settings. And so I kind of went to Phoenix and went to the church thinking, I'm this golden boy. Uh, and y'all listen up. And uh well-meaning people uh, took encouragement and affirmation too far with me, uh, and, and so this just – this big head started to really grow. Um, then I was put in a church environment. You know, churches are structured differently, but I was put in one that felt uh, very businesslike. It felt very much like get your job done. That's why you're here. And so I had left my now wife, I had left my family, I had left my friends, I had left everything I had known, and I entered into a church environment where there was no relationships. That Okay, that's probably an overstatement. Relationships were not 
prioritized. And again, this could be my perception as well. Um, but I get there and man, I just start to struggle. And there were decisions being made by leadership in the church uh, that I did not like and that I did not agree with. And I walked in a lot of sin uh, in terms of gossiping about it and slandering the men making the decisions. And I mean, it got to the point where people in our church would ask me my opinion on many a different thing, and I would tell them exactly what I felt. And then I would go to staff meetings and wonder why there was tension and why no one was, you know, inviting me to come over or anything. <laughs> and so in hindsight, I'm like, okay, I get it. Um, but there was a lot of just lessons learned in that season. Um, eventually, I got to the, the, the realization about eight months in that it was not a good fit for me. It was not good a, a good fit with the staff. The church had hired me to do college ministry, but wasn't yet ready to like go all in with that. Uh, it was a church plant, and so they were moving fast and furious, and, and sometimes uh, that leads uh, some some pain in the wake. And uh, I I think that explosions are never good, <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, but a controlled burn. And I, this church plant was trying to do the explosion, hire a bunch of people, let's get going, and and yet they weren't really ready to support uh, a college ministry fully. And so I ended up looking for a place to get out and ended up here in Vernon. Uh, and this has definitely not been without its share of difficulties. But uh, that that season in Phoenix, I mean, I was at the point where I was ready to leave the ministry. Uh, and those that know my testimony at mine, uh, I, I sensed God's call on my life for vocational ministry at a very young age. Um, in, in some parts as early as seven, uh, that, that just felt that. And yeah. yet here I am 22, fresh out of college, ready to just throw in the towel forever. Come to Vernon and, um, I'm about 45 minutes from where I, the church I grew up in at first Baptist Wichita Falls. And the pastor there, his name is Bob McCartney. He invited me to come to his office. I come in there. This is about a month into my move to Texas. He shuts the door. He says, Nate, Tell me everything that ticks you off about your time in Phoenix, everything that hurt you, and you're going to leave it in this room because you cannot take it with you to your next church because it's going to just be insidious and it's going to just do damage there. You've got to you got to rip it off and you got to just yell. He was like, yell at me for an hour. I'm yours. And I did. <laughs> I took him up on it <laughs> uh, for sure. But I look all of that long story um, to say, I look back on that and I thank God for it. It yeah. sucked in the moment. It's the hardest year of my life in a lot of areas. But I look back at that and I see, okay, I would not be in the position I'm in with some of these character qualities that I'm starting to grow in mm -hmm. if that hadn't happened to me. I remember sharing with my dad a few months into my move to Vernon. Vernon's a small town, about 11,000 people. And when I was at OBU, again, was blessed with a lot of opportunities to speak in chapels and to do these things to help out with men's ministries. And I, if Vernon had called me my senior year of college, I would have, I probably wouldn't have, I'm, I'm not confrontational, so I probably wouldn't have laughed over the phone. But I guarantee you, I would have joked about it afterwards. Like, Vernon, you kidding me? Small town? No, like, 
uh, village church is going to be calling soon. And, right. <laughs> and yet now I'm like, man, I love it here. I love small town life. I love the pace of life. I love this community I'm in. I love this church I'm in. And if it wasn't for Phoenix humbling me, teaching me compassion, teaching me perseverance, I never would have been here. And so again, that was very rambly, um, but that, that's been my experience of, of, of seeing what Swindoll shared, that it's in those painful, painful experiences that really the fruit of the spirit can grow the most. Uh, and so Brayden, you, you don't have to go into uh, gross detail about your life, but have you had seasons or moments where you've seen that to be true, where the fruit of the spirit has flourished as a result of some really painful circumstances? Uh, well, before we do that, can I ask you a question, a follow-up question? Yes. Yeah. So in your, in your experience in Phoenix, um, and the reason I'm asking, so I'm, I'm not quite through onto the other side, if you will, sure. a similar experience where, uh, had a difficult experience in ministry. Um, again, starting to recognize my own place in that and the, the, the pride, right? The pride or the, uh, over eagerness is probably a better word to put it. Uh, sure. uh, just like achieving and accomplishing the call that God has given me uh, mm-hmm. without the patience, right? Without the patience, without the endurance, without the steadfastness. Um, so I, I'm definitely starting to recognize more and more of my own uh, role in the failures, my own failures of leadership in those in those moments. But I'm curious, what is uh, when I when I listen to you talk about your your experience in Phoenix? I know there's so much more, and this is the first time I'm hearing it too. Uh, so, and I love asking questions that, that go deeper. So I hope this yeah. is all right. Um, you talked about relationships, right? Being, uh, not necessarily totally absent, sure. but, uh, it, it felt like a different kind of church environment, um, than you were hoping for. Sure. Um, how did you experience that tension of the lack of relationships? Because I think, um, uh, it can be a really ambiguous, like, what is what does it mean to be in relationship, right? What does it mean that Paul had a relationship with these with the the, the folks in Thessalonica? Uh, what does it mean to have a relational ministry? Um, yeah. What what in your experience or even in your view or your you know your hope um, is that was missing there that you deeply felt was was needed? Uh, yeah, I just I just want to hear. Yeah, that's really good. What your experience was with that? Yeah. And uh, again, um, caveat, uh, you know, I, there's two sides to every story. And so I can definitely look back and see like, man, they didn't do this or that. There was the youth pastor there, um, that family, they, they took me in for sure. Uh, And so, and I was actually with them just about every Saturday for about eight months. And so when I talk about like the relational church, I'm not trying to say that nobody cared about me as a person because like I said, the Copelands, they, they invested in me a lot and I consider them to be um, lifelong friends. There was another family outside the church, but, but, but here's what I mean. I mean that the bottom line of ministry success was the priority. Um, it was numbers. It was do your job well so that we can tell others that the job is being done well. Uh, they were less concerned about 
who I was becoming mm. in Christ and more concerned with what I was doing for Christ, which is an mm. oxymoron in and of itself. Yeah. Um, and so there was, there just, it came in fits and starts. There were times, again, my gossip, my slander uh, eventually did any, any hope of relationships in that way in. But I'll never forget this one moment. And I, and again, it's, I have made peace with this. There's a really, I have a really, I wish I could share more on this podcast, Braden. I'll tell you <laughs> at another time. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. been reconciliation uh, in some of those relationships. Uh, so, but so reconciliation now, but I'll go back to that mindset. There was a time when I was out there uh, in, in, Part of my story is I have a brother um, who was adopted out of foster care in Texas that five years ago, five years ago, stole my dad's car in the middle of the night and took off. And I haven't seen him since that moment where he um, he was gone uh, a few months late. So I, I didn't really feel much like care concern. I showed up on a Sunday morning. And no one really said anything staff-wise. Yeah. A few months later, my family found out that uh, Trevor, my brother, and I still consider him my brother, um, he had – the state of Texas, if you're 18, allows you to change your um, family status without parental consent. And so at yeah. the age of 18, he uh, removed himself legally from our family, and that was like a gut punch for me. When I was there again, I'm there alone or not alone at this point, Matt Wellborn, another OBU grad was out there with me, but uh, I'm out there more or less alone and find out my brother who I had hoped would come home has mm. taken an even further step of just legally distancing himself. And I remember coming to church the following Sunday, I had, I had texted some of the pastoral leadership of what had happened. No one said anything to me. And the pastor's wife came up to me and asked uh, something about Trevor that made it very clear that she didn't know what had happened. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of like asked her, I was like, did you not hear? Like he's gone and like left our family. And she had no idea. And so I, I see those experiences of like, man, it's not that they don't care. It's that there's a different right. priority. And I, I've seen, thankfully, the inverse of that in Vernon. Uh, both pastors I've served under here uh, make it really clear that they care about us as men, as women on staff, uh, that the bottom line does not trump our the, the health of our souls. And so right, right. that was a really long answer to your really good question. Um, oh, but, yeah, but that's when I when that. I talk about relational church mm -hmm. environments, that's what I mean. It's not necessarily yeah. like, hey, let's watch college football together. It's like, hey, are we more concerned about being, uh, growing than doing? And thankfully, I've had the opportunity. Uh, I, I had someone work alongside me this summer and intern uh, in our youth ministry. And I had the opportunity to imperfectly, not conflict-free, uh, but model, yeah. hey, I, I don't care what you do. Uh, that's not yeah. number one for me. I want to see you grow. So, yeah, I definitely think that's a change that we're starting to see, or at least I hope uh, that yeah. we can continue to see in in how ministry is done. Because, yeah, uh, you know, it, looking back to like the 
uh, you know, the Crusades or not the Crusades, uh, the the Billy Graham. Yeah, there were there were Crusades, right? Those Crusades, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Billy Graham Crusades, where it was just like yeah. this massive influx of believers and these big moments, these grand gestures, right? Uh, that felt really powerful. And and this is not to downplay it at all. Like yeah, I, I have mad respect for him. Uh, but I, you know however many years ago that was, it still feels like many places are still trying to cling to that kind of movement forward for the church. And I think, you know, you and I both, and I think a lot of many other people um, are starting to realize that I wonder if there's a deeper, slower, like that slow burn that you're saying um, that, you know, when we read, I think we can get really ahead of ourselves in reading Paul or these letters and, and feeling like everything that he's doing is happening really quickly. Yes. Right. That it's just like, boom, 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 boom. Because we get to we, we, we're, we're reading this letter, these letters between him and these churches. And we're feeling like, oh, man, he just like took care of that problem and like did this and planted a church. And I planted like 12 churches. And like but but taking out of you know consideration, like how long it was or how long he was, you know, in jail or or under house arrest in Rome and, uh, you know, submitting himself to these unjust authorities um, and like. Just this kind of subverted, uh, like, you know, it's going to take a while and that's okay uh, because there's something, I think, truly deep to be found there. Um, and, I, I, you know, I'll share a little bit about my experience, like something very similar of just, uh, you know, this this most recent, I was on staff at a church as a youth pastor, um, many, many faults of leadership. It was the first time I, I actually had a quote unquote staff position, everything in ministry that I've done has either been as a volunteer or things that I started myself um, as a volunteer. And so uh, when I had the opportunity to be a part of the lead staff, uh, it definitely got to my head as like, oh, then I'm going to be making or at least help influencing these kinds of decisions or whatever. And um, I think it eventually came to light that it was that, again, like you're saying, the priorities, the priorities was not was what do we as a team uh, you know, before the Lord surrender to the spirit, um, submitting to each other, believe needs to be the next step for this church. Um, and again, caveat, it was in the middle of COVID, which was hard for everyone. So there is so much grace to be had in how I handled the situation, both for myself, but also for, um, how I felt handled in, in that moment. Um, we can't, I can't take, we can't take that out of consideration. Um, but again, very much, you know, I was told, I feel like I don't have time to spend with my neighbors uh, because mm-hmm. I'm spending so much time doing ministry, doing this youth ministry, trying to do this thing and that thing. Um, and and the response from leadership was, well, that's not what you're being paid to do. Mm-hmm. You're being paid to do youth ministry. Yeah. And, it, and it was like, oh, they're just, there feels like there's this, this disconnect. Um, and again, not to not to rag on them. Yeah, they like God has no. given them a specific mission and and a way of, of doing that mission. But I think our hearts, my heart, my heart is longing for something deeper, something slower, something that uh, you know I've had the privilege of of getting to be known and knowing other uh, you know men in ministry, uh, other women in ministry, uh, where it the the relationship not not to idolize it but it kind of becomes the vehicle through which the kingdom starts to come to earth right it's not through the achievements that we do or the programs that we build but actually the relationships between each other is how this whole kingdom thing you know god god is wanting it to move forward i don't know that may be 
totally out, out of line, but that's, no. that's at least the direction I feel like yeah. Paul went uh, in, in planting these churches. And, you know, I hope that I, I certainly have for uh, churches here in, in the States. And uh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's really good. Well, to wrap up, I'll share my final thoughts. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think a lot of churches operate with that mentality of numbers and programs and procedures because those are not messy. Um, as soon as you right. open yourself up to like really loving your neighbor, really discipling with intimacy uh, and intentionality, it gets messy. I mean, I, I, it's messy. I have had many mm-hmm. <laughs> an experience uh, of that form and fashion. And yet, I think Paul, again, um, you know, these verses aren't the, you know, the church planner's guide to building a church. Um, but I think we can be uh, encouraged and challenged to pursue that slow burn of relational uh, intimacy. And so, uh, Braden, I really appreciate you hopping on today. I yeah. really enjoyed it and uh, I look forward to future episodes. Yeah, let's do this again sometime. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Roach Ramblings podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions for me or if you have any feedback on how I can improve my podcast or things you just want to talk about as a result of what you've heard, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you learned something new about what it looks like to follow the king and to grow his kingdom, please share this. Again, thank you so much for listening.